0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Life unfolds as it unfolds, and we don't always get a choice in how life unfolds sometimes. Um, having to relinquish um some of my portfolio, whilst it sounds like a negative thing, um, I'm lucky that I had the portfolio and I could relinquish it and and get access to the funds that I need. Um, I think the the biggest aha moments for me are buy and hold and hold for the long term.
0: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shump, and in this episode on Property Investory, we're chatting with Marion Mays, a property investor with a fast experience as an advisor and mentor. You'll follow her journey on how she started investing in property over coffee with a friend and uses her properties to create financial security for her family.
1: So my name is Marion Mays and I'm the founder of Thalia Stanley Group and that's a boutique uh, property mentoring firm set up in honour of my parents. So my mother's name was Thalia and my father's name was Stanley and we're based in Melbourne. Um, and I guess really my short CV, if you like, is that I started out in the banking world more than 25 years ago and I've worked in most areas of banking and lending and financial services. I've even repossessed houses for a living and resold them for the banks. Um, and about 17 years ago, I turned my passion for property into my professional career where I started mentoring people in property investment advisory.
0: Mays has recently won a number of awards for her skills and was featured in the Australian Property Investor magazine.
1: I was nominated out of uh, a large selection criteria as one of the top 10 property um, experts in Australia by Property Investor Magazine and I think that was in the last couple of months. Um, And I'm also a contributing author to the uh, book Investing in Property in Australia um, which was published earlier in the UK this year.
0: She has been in the media spotlight for some time now being featured in articles in the Sydney Morning Herald and Smart Investor having strong passion for social topics beyond her property investment skills.
1: There's a number of topics that I'm I'm passionate about which we were chatting about earlier before we went live with this podcast um, in terms of my commitment to specific social causes i.e. homelessness in Australia um, and also the prevention of violence against women and children. And so I think my strong commitment to those social causes and the fact that I'm a woman in a male-dominated industry always makes me a newsworthy candidate. Um, And from time to time, a number of journalists have reached out to seek my uh, opinion on things, be it the property market or be it the psychology or mindset required for one to be a successful investor, or be it my views on those specific areas that we just touched on, homelessness and prevention of violence against women and children. Um, Yeah, and so it's always very flattering to be invited to give comment or professional opinion in the media. And... um, yeah, the list is definitely growing now in terms of the various publications that have been featured in. But I guess the real opportunity behind that more than the um, the kudos of it is that it helps our work uh, have greater reach and specifically our work is around championing women to uh, build wealth and move beyond their stories. Um, and we've also recently started working specifically in the men's space, and that was really by request from men saying that, you know, we've had partners or friends or mothers or colleagues attend your events and we'd really love to be able to have access to the the same kind of information in a man's forum.
0: Marion's typical day involves her on social media attempting to teach what she calls financial literacy.
1: It's quite lateral and diverse and not your usual standard kind of financial services employee day. Um, So, a couple of things, Um, one of my big commitments is to bring financial literacy to all Australians, regardless of social or demographic background, and so I mentor privately in secret Facebook groups, um, both men and women, so on any given day, I am in those groups posting a specific question for all the participants to answer and then moderating all of the answers by the participants, and those questions are always around building the participants' um, financial literacy. So, I spend a lot of time mentoring and coaching inside of those two groups um, on a day-to-day basis. Um, Other parts of my day might be commenting or doing interviews with media. Um, A typical day will always involve being in touch with our clients or... um, speaking in relation to property investing at an event. Um, we do events as I mentioned earlier, uh, frequently, monthly, one for women and one for men so that involves me being up there and presenting in front of women and men.
0: May's story begins in Melbourne and will take her eventually to different countries over time, picking up on skills along the way.
1: So I was born and bred in Melbourne, um, Port Melbourne actually, and um, I've been I've lived in Melbourne all of my all of my life, um, with the exception of a five year stint in Asia where I lived and worked for five years, um, and a three year stint in London and Europe. But Melbourne is definitely home and. Um, I'm in agreement with the experts, that it's definitely one of the world's most livable cities, so Melbourne's very much home to me. Um, and I currently live on the other side of the bridge now, so I've moved over to the uh, inner west um, of Melbourne, and um, that's a nice change from the kind of St Kilda Port Melbourne theme. So I went to school at Oxford Secondary College, um, that was my high school that I went to, and I went on to do um, studies in financial planning and real estate. Um, and I've under- well I've started uh, a law degree at Victoria University, and that was a decision I made much later in life as a mature student um, to commence that journey.
0: This was the beginning of her journey, progressing through experience at a local business.
1: I, I went straight from secondary school and I went to work for a, um, a local business that represented both the Government Housing Cooperative Initiative and also the Farrow Corporation, which you may or may not remember was Pyramid Group. Um, it was a, a private group in Geelong. Um, and I worked in that capacity. So it was financial services. I left school immediately and went straight into the uh, financial services industry. Um, And then from there, I went on to work for Citibank, Citicorp Um, and in that role, I um, worked my way up very quickly and I was actually assisting in the process of repossessing houses and reselling those houses to recover the bank's losses.
0: This was during a time when interest rates were as high as 80%, which had a massive impact on Marion's outlook, having seen those affected by the hard times.
1: During that time, I was seeing the the repercussions of that uh, interest rate and the impact it was having on people's lives. Um, and then from there, I went to work for a variety of different financial organisations in varying roles, from lending officer, lending money, uh, credit control, collecting money, um, personal mortgage lending, so a credit assessment and lending for housing, etc. Yeah, so a strong background in the financial services sector and within the financial services sector, I developed my skill set in a variety of areas from credit control, asset recovery, credit lending, credit assessment, personal lending. So that really was the background and the platform for which I went into um, turning my passion of property into my profession um, So and that happened in around early 2000, 2002.
0: However, before beginning her own business, she accepted a role at a property firm so as to learn more about the structure of finance. From there, she gained a vast amount of experience that would propel her towards her dream job.
1: I'd moved back from um, London, from working and living in London to Australia, and I joined uh, a property uh, firm, and they had appointed me as a uh, consultant, and I was with them for I think about five years, and in that role. I um, trained and studied and became a property uh, mentor. And in that role, I was seeing clients and helping them decide whether or not property investment was suitable for them um, and then guiding them through the process and journey. And I would then manage everything for those particular clients. So I would help them with property selection. I would help them with financing the property correctly. And I guess that's really where, you know, my skill set of the 20 years prior, the 15 years prior really came into play in that I really understood financial structures. I really understood credit recovery processes. I really understood the risks involved when you're purchasing property and setting up a specific finance structure and just how critical the correct finance structure for any given property really is. Yes yeah, so in that journey I would take clients through the, the buying process and organizing the finance for them and helping them manage the process right up until settlement and as I said I did that for four or five years with that particular firm um and then I went on to work for a number of um major property service providers in the industry and I'm talking in the property investment sp- space um so I went to work for another uh, another company after that as a senior by that stage as a senior property mentor Um, And Then I was fortunate enough to have my beautiful son who's about to turn 10 any day now Um, and then I took a short break um, from that Um, and after having my son, I worked for one or two more companies in the industry and then decided to go out on my own and that was three years ago now.
0: The initial influence to get into the property sector came from a family friend who convinced her on the possibilities of commercial real estate.
1: So the influence didn't come directly from my parents because they weren't property investors and they um, they hadn't invested in property in their life. But I was fortunate enough in my early 20s that somebody who is a very dear friend to us, our, our family, um, cultivated, if you like, my interest in property, particularly commercial property, and that's really where my journey started. For most people, I think most average people kind of start their journey with residential property, um, but a friend of mine had introduced me to the concept of commercial property in my early 20s, um, and I just always had, I think it's it's not just the property, but it's that people live in properties, and it's the interest, the human interest of people and their lives um, that I find so fascinating in the context of property. Um, yeah, so then I started my my property investment journey with commercial property. Um, which is was an interesting place to start.
0: Her fascination with commercial property led Mays to a leap of faith in the first investment she ever made.
1: It's a funny story. So a dear friend of mine, who's uh, actually the godfather of my son now, said to me one day, do you want to meet me for a coffee in Collins Street, Melbourne? And uh, I said, sure. And so I met him and we had a coffee. And then he said, what do you think about this building? And I went, uh, it's an amazing building. Like, it's architecturally stunning and, you know, it's, um, it's um, you know, part of history. It's such a beautiful building. And he's like, well, would you be interested in buying something in this building? And I went, huh? <laughs> how do we get from coffee to buying something in this building? Anyway, long story short, and I, I can't even really tell you how it happened, but you know when opportunities cross your path, and either I was young and naive and didn't have enough real sense or I just intuitively felt good about it and I was like, sure, why not? So with that, I had committed to buying um, something in that particular property in Collins Street, Melbourne. Wow. That hold was on. my very first just,
0: just hold on a sec. Did you say that when you, you just went for coffee and within what a few hours, you actually put an offer in to actually purchase or this this happen over a period of time?
1: <laughs> no, no, no. I'd actually made the, the commitment. Um, so my you know, my friend talked me through it and all the research he'd done and how it was an amazing opportunity and how the building was coming about to be put up for sale and what the returns were and who the tenants were and that it would be cash flow positive from on day one. And I guess I just had such a strong confidence in my friend that I, I felt um, certain and sure. And I was like, okay, yeah, no, I'm in. Let's do this. And that's exactly how it happened. And so within a couple of hours on that day, I'd made a commitment to invest in that particular piece of commercial property. Um, and with that, I rang uh, my friend who was a bank manager at the time. Um, and in those days, there were bank managers that had the ability to approve funding. Um, he worked in commercial funding. And I rang him and I said, Neil, I'm so excited. I'm going to buy this property in Collins Street, Melbourne. And he went, uh, OK, um, how much money do you have? And I went, I don't know, how much money do I need? Yeah. <laughs> and um, and he gave me the figure and I said, well, I don't think I really have that, but I guess I can kind of find it if I really need to or, you know, can you finance it 100%? You know, it's commercial and the rent covers the... And he went, well, we can't exactly do it 100%, but we, you know, get as close to that as possible. Um, yeah. And with that, Neil organized the finance for me and before I knew it, I was a commercial property owner.
0: With this positive first experience, she felt inspired to continue investing in the market.
1: It's not your usual long drawn out story of research and due diligence and looking, and but it just kind of happened and owning a commercial property first up and having such fantastic experiences, so the, the tenants then contacted us shortly after the property had settled and said, look, we would really love to enhance the aesthetics of the property and we want to do this renovation and our architect's drawn up all the plans and it's going to cost approximately, I think it was $200,000 or whatever the figure was, Um, you know, would you mind? And we were like, absolutely not. I mean, as long as it doesn't impact any of the heritage listed stuff or what have you. Um, So they did this amazing renovation and then continued to be the most amazing tenant for the rest of the commercial lease period. And so my experience was just easy and positive and good. Um, it was cash flow positive. They paid their rent on time. They made improvements to the property. And that gave me really the basis of my confidence to start being an investor in the property market.
0: Coming up after the break, we'll delve further into May's journey on how she continued to grow her portfolio.
1: It was just a common-sense situation where a property next to the property that I had purchased had become available and it was going to have the same tenants because they were expanding their business.
0: Why she was forced to sell some of her properties in order to provide financial backup for her family?
1: Not long after I, I had my son back in 2007 required me to relinquish a lot of those assets.
0: And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey Podcast listeners, are you enjoying listening to these stories and want more? Then head over to PropertyInvestory.com and subscribe to receive your free property case studies that I only send exclusively via email. Just one of the many benefits of being part of this community. These real case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific numbers of their portfolio, their strategies and much more. Simply visit PropertyInvestory.com to get your free case studies. Now, back to the show. Tipping Marion in the right direction on a property investing journey, she then bought her first residential property.
1: So after that, my next purchase was another commercial property given my first experience was so great. It was just a common sense situation where a property next to the property that I had purchased had become available and it was going to have the same tenants because they were expanding their business. So it just absolutely made sense on paper. Um, so again, just another easy, positive experience. And then um, my that my next property was an, a true story again. This is not going to sound very great for my uh, professional CV, but I was driving down the street one day in the eastern suburbs and I saw this uh, beautiful Victorian property with um, the most gorgeous facade on the front of it. And the smallest of signs saying for sale wasn't a real estate agency sign; it was just the sign um, for sale. So it looked like the owner was selling, or I don't know. I, I don't know. It was the it was just this little sign, <clears throat> and um, and so I knocked on the door, and um, sure enough, the people came to the door and said, "Yep, we we want to sell the property, and we want to sell it fairly quickly, and we have a very specific price in mind." Um, Anyway, long story short, that Victorian um, Terrace, which was on a, a sizable land component, um, was my third purchase. So that became my first residential property. Um, and it was a beautiful Victorian Terrace with a large land component on the back of it. Um, and it was very pre-loved on the inside. So that became my first gutting and renovating experience. And I literally gutted the internal of that property um, and then completely renovated the internal works of that property. Um, yeah, so that became my first residential purchase and my third acquisition. Um, and then after that, I thought it was time to probably purchase a home. So at this stage, these are all properties and I'm obviously not living in them. Um, and then I purchased, uh, my home. Um, I went to the auction I think I listed at auction and then I put in an offer afterwards um, and that was my home in St Kilda um, just down by the bay So,
0: It was then that she realised she had a love for a specific kind of property
1: I seem to without realising when I can look back in hindsight had a love of um, heritage properties because the first two commercial properties that I actually purchased were heritage listed properties the third property that I purchased um, in the eastern suburbs again was a heritage property, and um, and then my home that I purchased subsequent to that um, was also a heritage property. So you know the beautiful old ceilings and the polished floorboards, and um, you know the beautiful workmanship that you see in um, the era gone by, but <laughs> no longer.
0: As there are limited ways to add value to heritage-listed properties how do they contribute to her portfolio? Mays says the land component is quite important, along with other essential details.
1: With the initial purchases, they're you know, they're a commercial property and so the growth has been you know, slow and steady, but the yield was very good. They were cash flow positive from day one. Um, and what they really gave me was the confidence and peace of mind to go on and to buy other real estate. The residential property in Hawthorne, uh, to give you an idea, don't quote me on the figure, but I think the purchase price was somewhere in the 300. Yeah. So I think you could probably answer that question in this time right now. If you tried to buy a Victorian terrace with a large land component at the back in Hawthorne, um, you're paying in excess of one point something. And I think, and I think to, to speak to your question and to really answer it, how have they, I think, you know, heritage listed is always valued. Not always valued over and above modern, but there's something very unique to it, and you can certainly renovate and modernise the internal or put extensions on. But it's that charm, that intangible charm, um, that is so appealing to so many people. So they definitely hold their values very well. They have features that you don't find in modern buildings, like high ceilings, you know, um, detailed cornices and architraves and things like that. Um, so yeah, very very solid investment unless they all grew in value.
0: However, things began to derail financially after her son was born, which forced her to start approaching things a little differently.
1: So personal circumstances, um, not long after I I had my son back in 2007, required me to relinquish a lot of those assets. Um, And yeah, I know. um, But that's okay. Once you know how to do it once and you understand the formula and the system that works, you're able to recreate that. And so, with my new or more recent acquisitions, I've um, leaned towards uh, newer investments as opposed to my past pattern of buying of old heritage listed properties. Um, you know, we still have our home, which is an old heritage listed property, but I've um, the purchases have been new purchases in new developments. And obviously, the benefit of doing that is because I wanted to realise the opportunity of, you know, the stamp duty laws before they changed. Obviously, um, for buying off the plan. But I also, at this position and stage of my life, it's more conducive for me to buy um, properties that are going to have some tax benefit to me in the here and now. So, so my new and my most recent purchases have been new acquisitions in new developments. Um, it's not to say that I'm not still madly in love with heritage-listed properties, but I just think the market has moved so much since then. You know, when I give you that example of you know a property in the 300s, freestanding on a land Victorian terrace, I mean you can't even buy a shoebox in most um, suburbs within a close proximity to the CBD for under a million dollars right now. So the game has completely changed. Um, and in a rebuild situation where I'm rebuilding some of my portfolio, it's more conducive for me to look at new development and new opportunities for the stamp duty savings before the laws change there and also for the depreciation and tax benefits.
0: There have been some bumps and scrapes in her investment adventure, but Mays thinks that she has been incredibly lucky.
1: Probably the only the only small thing that I really ever experienced is where I agreed to let um, two couples uh, rent one of my properties in a share tenancy agreement, um, and for whatever reason I can't remember why at that time I didn't use a professional property manager, um, and it just turned into be a nightmare um, because there were disputes between the couples, and there was the issue with rent payments, and there was. You know, some damage to the property, which one party is saying the other party is responsible for, and that party was saying, no, the other party is responsible for. And, um, it was really hard work and investing in property. Once you've settled on a property, it should be a set and forget situation where it self-manages and you don't have to have that high level of involvement. So for me, that was probably the toughest thing. Um, and coming from a background where I predominantly invested in commercial property, having to deal with tenants on that very um, human level day-to-day was stressful and taxing and not something I ever want to experience again. And needless to say, I don't manage any property myself. (laughs) I I now have very highly skilled professional property managers that know what to do when things are great and easy, but also know what to do when things are difficult and tough, as they sometimes can be when we're dealing with human beings renting housing space.
0: From experience, she has this advice for other property investors.
1: My big takeaway would be to anybody listening to this podcast is that if you're an owner of an investment property and you know somebody that wants to move into that investment property, put a professional managing agent in between you and your friends or the people that you know that you, that want to rent it. One, it will salvage your personal relationship with them. Um, and two, it just puts a formal process in place that's not reliant on you getting involved Um, and I guess a set of boundaries so that if anything goes wrong, it's all done professionally and you don't have to engage in it personally and you don't have to put any relations in jeopardy. That would be my biggest takeaway, even if they're your brother-in-law or your sister or you know them, put a professional property manager in between you and the person wanting to rent your home or your house.
0: Throughout all this, Mace has learned to maintain a positive outlook.
1: Life unfolds as it unfolds and we don't always get a choice in how life unfolds sometimes. Um, having to relinquish um, some of my portfolio, um, whilst it sounds like a negative thing, um, I'm lucky that I had the portfolio and I could relinquish it and, and get access to the funds that I need. Um, I think the, the biggest aha moments for me are buy and hold and hold for the long term. But the, the other really important thing for me has been property is a way to have always a safety backup plan. And what I mean by that is the liquidity of property. So, if, for example, you know, if we bought a property 15 years ago for 400000 and today it's worth $800,000, um, the ability to have a credit facility against that property, like a line of credit um, or a loan with overdraft, um, is just so crucially important to financial security and the reason I say that is if you hold property as an asset, you can always easily borrow money against it as long as you can meet the bank's criteria.
0: Discovering how property can provide financial security for her and her family when necessary, especially in dire circumstances, was a crucial moment where everything fell into place.
1: Certainly in my personal circumstances where um, having access to a lot of money quickly was really important, very, very important. Um, I wouldn't have been able to navigate my way through difficult times and, you know, beyond months, difficult times in terms of years, had I have not been a property owner. And what I mean by that is I had a credit facility on one of my properties. I'd paid down pretty much most of the debt on that particular property. Um, my circumstances drastically changed very quickly and very unexpectedly. Um, I didn't have access to uh, income um, and I had a young child who was quite sickly reliant on me. And because I had access to the money on that credit facility from that property, I was able to use that money to live from for an extended period of time. Now, yes, logically, there was debt accumulating, but the alternative is that I didn't have access to that money and then couldn't even meet our basic living cost or the medical treatment that was needed. Or, So do you see the point that I'm making? That for me was really a big lifesaver. Now, of course, the property just continued to go up in value. But if you were in a position where you had some devastating life-changing moment and you didn't hold any real property and you didn't have any credit facilities against them, Um, and you weren't able to work during that time for whatever reason, what would you do? Um, You know, you can't go and borrow money when you're not in full-time employment or when you're in a difficult situation in life. So I would have been in dire straits if not for that property portfolio that I had built and set up. But even more importantly than that, the, the very careful financial structure that I put in place on that property portfolio. And I deliberately did that as a safety safety buffer and a safety backup plan in the event that life should unfold in a way that um, no was not how I'd hoped. And that happened. Um, and because of the credit facility and the property portfolio I had in place, I was able to navigate four or five years of a very challenging time um, without, you know, going bankrupt, without losing all of my assets, without not being able to have a basic quality of life. So my to, to, to answer your question, my big epiphany, my big takeaway is, you know, buy property, hold it long term, pay down the debt where you can, always have a credit facility sitting on there that's available to you to help you through any of those difficult times in life when you don't have access to either income or borrowed funds.
0: So, inspired by May's story and her amazing aha moment, we'll continue the conversation in a future episode on Property Investry where we'll find out her go-to resources for gaining financial literacy.
1: Really popular book at the moment is um, The Barefoot Investor. Um, And I think most people have heard of that and that's really a step-by-step guide of how to approach um, managing your money um, and taking you through all the different areas of wealth creation in a really hands-on practical way.
0: Her success habits for property investing?
1: One of the strongest personal habits I have is understanding that I don't know at all and constantly learning and so I'm constantly putting myself in a position where I'm learning from others in this industry.
0: And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. Also if you haven't subscribed to receive your free property case studies that I only send out exclusively via email, you can text me your email address to 0499881040 to subscribe. These real case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific numbers of their portfolio, the strategies and much more. Simply text me your email address to 0499881040 to get your free case studies. Thanks for listening.